Radio 3. Morning and welcome to Thursday. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on the 17th of November. This is Money Talk on Radio 3 and I'm Peter Lewis. New home prices in China fell by the most in seven years in October. Prices dropped 1.6% year-on-year last month, the steepest decline since August 2015. Prices fell in 58 out of the 70 cities included in the index last month, compared with 54 in September. The People's Bank of China warned Wednesday that inflation may accelerate on the mainland. In its third quarter monetary policy report, the PBOC said we will attach great importance to the potential possibility of future inflation, especially to changes in the supply side and it pledged to balance supporting growth and maintaining stable prices. On Wednesday at the G20 summit in Bali, Indonesia, leaders of the world's biggest economies agreed to pace their interest rate hikes carefully to avoid spillovers, and they warned of increased volatility in currency moves. The G20 leaders also called for temporary and targeted fiscal spending to low-income households, which are particularly vulnerable to rising living costs. Inflation in the UK hit a 41-year high of 11.1% in October as food and energy prices continue to soar. Economists had been expecting a lower reading of 10.7% and it's higher than the 10.1% seen in September. The Office for National Statistics said in October 2022, households are paying on average 89% more for their electricity, gas and other fuels than they were paying a year ago. And gas prices have risen almost 130% from a year ago. And crypto broker Genesis Trading has become the latest player in the digital assets space to be hit by the collapse of crypto exchange FTX. The crypto financial services group has halted withdrawals at its lending unit, blaming the unprecedented market turmoil. On Wednesday, the broker said it was working tirelessly to resolve issues, including sourcing new liquidity. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by wealth investment strategist Enzio von Fahl and Jack Su of Credit Suisse. With a view from Taiwan, it's Ross Feingold at Safepro Group. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Overnight in New York, US stocks fell as investors digested hotter-than-expected retail sales data and a slowdown in manufacturing output growth. The S&P 500 ended the day down 0.8% at 3,959. The Dow finished off 39 points or 0.1% at 33,554. The Nasdaq Composite shed 1.5% to 11,184. Weighing on stocks was a report from retailer Target, which showed a decline in sales as families deal with high inflation, heading into the biggest shopping season of the year for retailers. Shares of Target dropped 13%. Other retailers, including Macy's, Nordstrom, Coles and Gap, were also down sharply. The Pan-European Stock 600 index dropped 1%. In London, the FTSE 100 was off a quarter of a percent. A three-day rally in Hong Kong stocks, which has taken gains in the Hang Seng Index to over 24% so far in November, came to an end yesterday. This month's stratospheric ascent has added one and a half trillion US dollars to the value of mainland China and Hong Kong stocks over the last two weeks. The Hang Seng Index yesterday fell 87 points, or half a percent, 
18,256, retreating from a seven-week high. The tech index dropped 0.2%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite was weaker, losing half a percent to 3,120. News that the mainland China reported over 20,000 local COVID-19 cases Wednesday, the most since April damaged sentiments. And Tencent reported 140.1 billion yuan in revenue. That's about 20 billion US dollars for the September quarter. That's down for the second quarter in a row and off 2% from the third quarter last year. It was slightly lower than the medium forecast of 141.7 billion Chinese yuan. And net income was up 1% to 5.6 billion US dollars. On Wednesday, Tencent said it would return capital to shareholders through a dividend distribution of its 20.3 billion US dollar stake in food delivery firm Metuan. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil settled 1% lower at $92.86 a barrel. Gold is down $6 at $1,774 an ounce. And the US 10-year Treasury bond yield dropped 9 basis points to 3.69%. And the difference in yields between two and ten-year bonds is at its most inverted, or most negative if you like, since 1982. And that's a signal of an impending recession. The US dollar index is lower once again. The euro this morning trading at $1.04. The bucks at 139.46 Japanese yen. Sterling is half a percent stronger at $1.19 and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 32 cents after the stronger than expected UK inflation data. The Chinese yuan was weaker as COVID cases continue to surge on the mainland. Offshore yuan is trading at 7.10 and a half against the dollar. And Bitcoin, that fell 2% overnight to $16,500. And opening up this morning, Asia-Pacific stock markets are all weaker. The SX200 in Australia is off a quarter of a percent. Actually, the Nikkei 225 has just turned positive, up slightly by 0.1%. The Cosby in South Korea down 0.1% and it looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 150 points lower later on this morning. Just gone 8.09. Let's welcome our regular Thursday morning commentator, wealth investment strategist, Enzio Ron Farm. Morning, Enzio. Good morning, Peter. And joining him this morning is Jack Su, Chief Investment Officer for Greater China at Credit Suisse. Morning, Jack. Morning, Peter. Um, perhaps I can start by asking you both about the markets. As you know, we've seen this extraordinary rally now uh, in Hong Kong stocks in particular. Uh, Hang Seng Index up over 24%. Uh, so far in November. What I wanted to ask you both is to look forward a bit and I wanted to get your thoughts, not so much on whether the market's going to go up or down from here, but what do you think are going to be the investment themes next year? Do you see a change from what we've seen this year? What are going to be the main uh, themes? Well, I think right the old theme of new energy stocks will continue to be supported by the new energy initiative by the country and also um, from the Western countries who's got a high demand to rebuild energy security. And that's a theme that's going to change. But what's the current theme right now in onshore mainland China is um, as we get into this 7 plus 3 to 5 plus 3, uh, the population seem to be going online, um, I guess, circulation on the list of products to buy online uh, as we transit into somewhat a reopening in the longer term. And questions being asked whether we should buy the oxygen machine 
whether should, we should buy a paracetamol, uh, whether we should buy the um, Chinese medicine uh, to cure sim- symptoms. I mean, mm. this online uh, purchase basket uh, seems to be a theme uh, in the near term. But I guess um, overall, uh, next year, the equity market will remain quite challenging as the um, recession is going to hit home um, globally, uh, for especially in Europe. So I don't think it's actually... a f- thematic environment to be adding a lot of stocks. Instead, uh, we should stay with safe uh, bonds. Really? So you would prefer uh, bonds rather than stocks at the moment? Well, it's true that bond yields have risen from 50 basis point to 4% uh, in just one year. And the valuation of bonds are now a lot more attractive. And when you look into stock market versus the bonds, you realize that, oh, okay, I'm only getting additional potential 2% in the long term uh, versus a probably triple amount of risk of uh, volatility in the portfolio. So naturally, for asset allocators, money will be shifting to bonds more and holding less stocks in the next I guess, six months at least. Because this year, if you've held that uh, typical balanced portfolio of 60% stocks, 40% bonds, it's been disastrous, hasn't it? Because they've both gone down. Yes, I mean, I calculate the numbers. If you measure the numbers in the last 150 years, it's the fourth worst year in the 60-40 portfolio. Mm. And in other words, it's it's been one of the worst times to have a balanced portfolio. But looking ahead, as the Fed's interest rate heights coming closer to potential end and behold at 5% area. Um, we, we expect the bond market to start stabilizing, but equity market, unfortunately, because we are heading into a potential recession, uh, the certainty that the equity market will stay where it is is quite low. Mm. And so what, what are your thoughts going forward? What do you, what you see as being dominating investors' thoughts? My year? overall theme is that we're going to go into stagflation. We will have just the economic clock will, will give us excess demand for money, excess supply of goods, so very sticky growth for the next couple of years. I'm a little bit different to my friend over here. I think that one should be looking at consumer staples, high dividend yielders, old age care, and 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 that's those those would be sort of three and communications because if people don't travel as much as one may think, then communications will continue doing very well. Do you see a recession on the mainland? Yes, I think that the um, it's it's more of a recession than a stagflation on the mainland because the inflation is still quite low. But even there, they've said that there are supply side constraints. I think a lot of it's because of the COVID, the lack of the it's, it's logistics constraints, basically, that are driving up the prices. But I see more of a recession, a mild recession, nothing terrible. Um, and that's because she, understandably, I think, wants to focus more on the health of his population than on the well-being, the, the financial well-being at this stage. Mm. On the inflation front, the PBOC said yesterday in its quarterly uh, financial report um, that it was concerned about inflation. Are you a bit surprised by that? Because China is the one place actually in the world which really... Uh, hasn't really seen much inflation. And on the producer price side, it's actually sunk into deflation now. Well, since mid-July, the the renminbi has fallen by about some 10%. And I think that's going to give rise to some imported inflation that, that will have all sorts of ricochet effects. Then on the supply side, I think that oil price isn't going to sort of exactly tumble out of bed and, and completely go south the whole way. Copper prices aren't because of these structural changes like electrical cars. And mm. so I think that you'll find, and then of course the, the logistics bottlenecks will continue driving prices in China just because you can't get the goods from A to B. 
So I think that there are some very real concerns there. And that's, I was intrigued that they said that they were concerned about supply-side problems with inflation. That's far way ahead of the Fed, which is only focused on demand side. Mm. Jack, what about commodities? If we're going to see this move to things like um, electric vehicles, more of them, um, is that going to boost um, demand for commodities, particularly industrial uh, metals like copper, lithium and so on? I think there will be a falling demand for commodities in general because as the West head into the potential recession uh, and interest rates have been risen. So for many companies, the profit margin has been squeezed, how much they will invest in terms of industrial production and producing uh, products that may not be as needed as what we've seen the previous year. Uh, I think commodity overall is actually um, falling. And you've seen, right, um, the OPEC in a, um, is looking into potential more cuts uh, in oil supply in order to maintain prices at recent like these levels so i think it's more of a supply side issue um the demand side story is going to be weaker this year and um but when we're talking about inflation uh for china uh one thing our economists have pointed to is just the supply of the pork and the recovery of pork uh, reserve in china they have released some of the reserve uh, in in the inventory in order to stabilize prices but i think that is one of more of a concern in china's cpi mm. uh, Enzio, i mean i'm mm. sure you concur with this as a, as a wealth uh, uh, management strategist but one of the things we've always emphasized to listeners on this show is when it comes to um, investment you have to take a long-term view you can't take a short-term view you can't try and time the markets. And if you did, you probably would have missed this rebound um, in, the, in the last couple of weeks as well. If anything, this sort of volatility does emphasize even more, doesn't it, the importance of not trying to trade markets, but to take um, a long-term perspective. Yes, I totally agree with that. That would be rule one and rule two is diversify so that you're not putting all eggs in one basket. But let's all not, let's not forget what Lord Kane said and that in the long run, we're all dead. So you have to, in the meantime, also vigilantly watch your portfolio just to make sure what Peter Lynch taught us years ago in One Up on Wall Street, this fabulous book, um, that you need to keep an eye on the quality of the management of the companies that you've invested in, not just saying, well, it's a good company today, so it will remain a good company for the rest of my life. Mm. What about the property market? That's been the other big ele elephant in the room, hasn't it, on the mainland? A lot of focus on that this year. We're now starting to see some measures uh, to try and stabilise the property market, although, as we heard earlier, uh, property uh, demand is still collapsing on the mainland and property prices are still falling. Do you think this is going to, still going to be a theme or do you think the property market is going to be stabilised next year? Um, let me answer this question. Uh, number one, Peter, as you correctly pointed out, um, the solution to a stabilised housing market, the number one thing is to see sales recovery and price stabilisation. Um, the measurement which focuses on the financing um, of the uh, property developers is a good step forward. It's a very good step forward because I think in the last five times the government had tried to support the government, I mean the, the developers, um, there were not official measurements being uh, published uh, by the government. Now under the new government, they have went on the next stage to publish uh, measures that they expect to be implemented. But now we are looking at two things. One is whether the commercial bank is going to respond uh, by lending to developers, especially to the high quality developers that is privately owned, will be a critical um, decision for the banks to decide. And second 
is uh, where there will be more um, demand side measurement to support uh, people coming back and bringing confidence back uh, into the household buyers. And without clarity over these two main topics, um, I think it's too early to try to chase this rally. I think this is a lot of short covering. Mm -hmm. This is a lot of, um, I guess, repricing of something very cheap. Uh, but the certainty to uh, a official recovery, uh, I think it's not there yet. If I could just add to that briefly, Peter, I also think that if the China is in fact going to go into, say, a mild recession, just very, very sticky, low growth, then and this these logistics pro problems continue existing, then the banks can loosen up on the lending as much as they want. The PBOC can loosen up on the regulations of the bank as much as they want. It is, by the way, 25% of all lending amongst banks is for the property sector, I believe. Mm -hmm. But lending isn't going to do it. It has to be people's faith in their incomes that they can actually service a mortgage. And until that comes back, I think this is really, again, clutching at, the, clutching at straws, these, these rallies. So that's a point I wonder about myself, that if, um, you know, okay, lending commercial banks lending more to developers may help them but it doesn't particularly help consumer confidence does it in that their their um their property prices are going to stabilize and they should start spending more well, it, it, exactly. And I think that um, you will, in fact, if, if, if anything, if the, if the banks lend too much where you have, you know, whom there who's, who's had huge problems, I think it's Evergrande. And so if there's too much of that sort of spare cash in the developer's pockets, maybe things go a little bit cuckoo anyway. Mm. And of course, the other big thing that's uh, focused investors' minds this year is the Fed. Um, aggressive series of rate hikes, uh, rate hikes from them for 75 basis point ones in a row. Jack, where where do you see the Fed ending up next year? Is this still going to be um, a big overhang on the market or do you start to see this famous Fed pivot uh, coming, which, uh, which investors have been banking on? We still have 50 basis point rate hike in December and 50 basis point together January, 25 basis point each month. And then we'll end at 5%. I mean, that's our official forecast. Uh, but we don't think the pivot is coming next year. Uh, we think the pivot is coming in 2024 because in Jackson Hole, they have set the framework that they will need to see inflation coming back down to the target range, uh, which is below 3%. We think the CPI will end just at the 3% by year end next year. Uh, in other words, the condition for the Fed to cut rate is not there in the next 12 months, uh, but we will start potentially seeing the first rate cut in 2024. So mm. unfortunately, we are still some time away from the pivot. Now, a listener wants to join in with this discussion, if you do want to join in, by the way. Moneytalk at rthk.hk is our email address. Eve Gomez has emailed, he's been listening to this discussion, and he wants to bring in um, what's happening in the crypto markets. He says, if there's this big fall in crypto values, the implosion in FTX, which could accelerate, will that create massive wealth destruction in investors' portfolios and therefore also consumer demand destruction with, with investors? and consumers in no mood to splash out. What, what do you think? I think it's going to have huge secondary effects. Indeed, the Financial Times headline today, Broker Genesis halts withdrawals at lending unit as crypto storm worsens. I think it's just going to worsen because there are very few players. It's not regulated and nobody really knows, frankly, what's going on in that market. So um, I'm decidedly confused by the market. I stay out of it totally myself. Never advise clients to get into it. But I do think there's a big storm brewing there. And by the way, amongst government treasury bonds also, that's, that's another subject. Mm. Jack, what do you think? Well, Credit Suisse had also stayed out of the crypto market throughout the last 
years and um, whenever a client asks us um, we just do not provide a view it is in the market we do not provide research on it we cannot research it uh, mm -hmm. there's no fundamental behind it um, so I think there will be some wealth destruction given this this spread of this um, I guess market is quite big among the population and many people have invested uh, but I think um, it seems like there's more damage to come before it can calm down it does make you wonder, doesn't it? How can this be happening all over again? We've seen this so many times in the past with bubble. institutions like Enron, long-term capital management, MF Global, all happened before. And yet here we are again, a lack of... Um, protecting clients' assets has ultimately um, brought down some big firms. Greed is a very bad counsellor, and I'm afraid it's just a rerun. I, I don't think this crypto mess is going to go away, and it will have all sorts of secondary effects, especially for the geniuses who've gone and leveraged on their crypto positions. I really feel sorry for them. Well, thank you both. Great discussion there. That was Wealth Management Investment Strategist Enzio von Fahl and Jack Su, Chief Investment Officer for Greater China at Credit Suisse. <laughs> You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. RTHK Radio 3. The time's 8.24. On the phone from Taiwan is Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group. Morning, Ross. Good morning. Now, I know from over there you've been watching closely uh, the G20 uh, summit, particularly uh, the meeting between President Biden and President Xi. Um, what's your thoughts now, a couple of days later, on how the summit has gone and whether we've seen anything substantial from it? Uh, well, with regard to the latter, anything substantial, that's probably unlikely. Uh, there was uh, this announcement about resumption of, of a dialogue for climate change, uh, which a lot of people had expected might be one kind of minimum outcome that the two sides could achieve to say that they're, they're putting a little bit of attention behind them and they're finding a little bit of a way to cooperate. And that's why I'm emphasizing this really is a little bit because no one really expects anything substantive to come out of a bilateral U.S.-China climate dialogue in in, in, in in the near term, uh, some people, uh, especially in the Biden administration, they'll say it's it's important that we're talking. Uh, hardliners in the U.S. are, are going to say either you shouldn't talk to China because the, the timing is just not correct because of, uh, they'll come up with a list of things that they don't like that China does. Uh, or they'll say uh, you're going to get had, you're going to get fooled in this meeting because uh, you, you just give in too much, uh, Mr. Biden and, and, and the Democrats, and it's just going to be a repeat of but did he give Did he give anything away? He didn't really give anything away, did he? They just really talked. There wasn't a lot of giveaway on either side. As, uh, it, it, it depends how much you want to get into the wording. Uh, did, did he pound the table and, and take that kind of approach? Uh, uh, so for some, uh, again, for hardliners, anything short of that, uh, it's a giveaway because you're coming across as weak. And I think that's the, that's the critical view. That's going to be the criticism that we'll see. Mm. Did you get the impression um, that President Xi is put a lot of effort on trying to de uh, develop relations with Western uh, leaders and repair maybe uh, some of the damage that's done because of the war in Ukraine. And if anything, maybe he's moving away a little bit now from President Putin um, and, and trying to focus more on the West. Uh, it, it's, it's a great question, but I would expand the footprint and, and say that in the last few weeks, uh, ever since his first post-COVID overseas trip, 
we, we've seen a, a number of visitors, uh, uh, national leaders, visited uh, Beijing in recent weeks, uh, not, not just the German chancellor, but, but from some other countries as well. And there's probably going to be more of that upcoming. So it, it looks like uh, they're, they're trying to uh, improve the image. Uh, there's been so much reporting about global surveys, about how people view China. So it seems like they're trying to improve uh, uh, bilateral or even multilateral relations. Uh, it's not altruistic. Part of it's probably driven by trade. Uh, yeah, we have this trade agreement with the EU that remains uh, unsigned, uh, for example, uh, where there's things they could do bilateral trade. And we saw that with with the German dele- trade uh, business dele- leaders delegation that came with Chancellor Scholz. Uh, so it, it seems like the outreach is actually uh, ha- ha- broader, has has a global footprint, uh, and no doubt there'll be some success that comes from that. Mm. There were economic issues on the agenda. Um, as well. President Xi asked the G20 nations to con- try and contain uh, the fallout from interest rate hikes as, uh, as the Federal Reserve uh, moves aggressively to fight inflation. He said we must contain global infla- inflation and resolve systematic risks. He's always said uh, there should be more coordination uh, between central banks and on monetary policy and it was mentioned in the communique um, after the meeting where they said they would agree to sort of pace their interest rate hikes more carefully. One of those things, though, isn't it, that's easier said than done because uh, China uh, and the U.S. economy in particular are in very different places and need very different monetary policies. Uh, great, great point again, and also that that could have been a hint uh, towards the United States. Uh, why haven't you lowered some of those Trump era tariffs yet? Especially uh, given that candidate Biden had said he would do that. Then there was this lengthy internal discussion in the Biden administration that they would do that, and ultimately they have not. So that that might have been uh, driven uh, as much as uh, helping Chinese uh, manufacturers and exporters, uh, as well as the global inflation uh, situation. But, but an interesting thing about that is coming out of COVID and with travel resuming and multilateral in-person meetings resuming, we'll we'll have to see uh, whether or not Chinese central bank officials uh, take on the global high profile that they used to have in those settings. If we go back maybe before the 2008 crisis, uh, they were welcomed at the table and they got along with their counterparts from other countries fairly well. We'll have to see if that kind of uh, working relationship resumes uh, among the major countries. Do you think there'll be any easing of uh, the Biden administration's hard stance on things like uh, exports of high technology to to China? Well, keeping in mind that these these measures were only announced a few weeks ago. Uh, probably not going to walk back from them any time soon. I, so on that one, I, I think we're, we're probably going to be looking at multiple year, multi-year uh, timeline for any changes, and probably will be driven by Chinese abilities catching up. Uh, you know, when, when, when industry goes to the United States government and says. Uh, Chinese industry has already caught up. Some of these restrictions no longer make sense. But uh, we all know that there's a timeline for that, and it's not going to be a year or two. Okay, Ross, thank you very much. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group over in Taipei. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take another look at the markets this morning in Australia. The SX200 is off a quarter of a percent in Japan. The Nikkei 225, half half an hour into trading, is up 0.1%. 
Cosby in South Korea is down 0.1%, and futures markets pointing to a drop of 180 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. I'll have more business and finance updates for you. Coming up after the news is Back Chat with Janice Wong and Jenny Lam. The weather forecast for today. Sunny periods, maximum temperature around 26 degrees. Sunny periods in the next couple of days as well. Temperature right now, 23 degrees, 82% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.31, here's Barry O'Rourke with the half-hour news. The United States Ambassador to the United Nations, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, has told the Security Council that President Putin is trying to freeze Ukraine into submission. She told a meeting discussing the conflict that Russia had decided to adopt a strategy of missile strikes on Ukraine's energy supplies because of its failures on the battlefield. She said it was important to remember the people who are suffering as a result. I know we've all seen the photos of cratered playgrounds, bombed out hospitals, and destroyed homes across Ukraine. But no photograph can capture the real lives affected, the real people suffering the immense human toll of Russia's war against a fellow UN member state. Ukrainian officials say Russia wants to sap civilian morale with power blackouts just as daylight shortens and temperatures drop. Military analysts have said Russia's recent withdrawal from the city of Kherson is consistent with a plan to dig in on the Dnipro River's east bank. Brazil's president-elect, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, has told the COP27 summit his country is rejoining the fight against climate change, but he added more determination and leadership was needed. There is no climate security for the world without a protected Amazon. The outcome of the Brazilian election was important not only for the peace and well-being of the Brazilian people, but also the survival of the Amazon, and therefore the survival of our planet. The phrase I have heard most often from the leaders of different countries is the following, the world misses Brazil. The head of Britain's security service, MI5, says this year has seen the most significant blow against Russian intelligence services in recent European history. Ken McCallum said this, along with the scale of sanctions against Russia, had taken President Putin by surprise. The BBC's Gordon Carrera has more. Russia will keep attacking the UK, using both covert methods like spies and more open forms of pressure, the head of MI5 warned. But he did say that Russian intelligence had been dealt a strategic blow with more than 600 diplomats, 400 of whom were judged to be spies, having been expelled around the world since the February invasion of Ukraine. He said a further 100 Russians had been denied diplomatic visas on national security grounds to replace those removed from the UK. The US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has called for more regulatory oversight of cryptocurrency markets. Ms Yellen referred to the recent failure of a major cryptocurrency exchange and said it had major impact on investors. She said risks previously identified over the past year were at the centre of the problems detected last week. Ms Yellen said Congress needed to move quickly to solve those issues. And there'll be more news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Jenny Lam. On today's program, we're looking at the whole world, specifically its record high number of human inhabitants. The global population has just reached 
1.8 billion as of Tuesday, according to the United Nations. This means there's 1 billion more people on Earth now than there was 12 years ago, largely because of improvements in public health, nutrition, personal hygiene and medicine. Middle-income countries, mostly in Asia, accounted for most of the growth, gaining some 700 million people since 2011. India added about 180 million people and is set to surpass China as the world's most populous nation next year. The UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres says the record population is an occasion to celebrate diversity and advancements, but he also warns there's a long list of problems for planet Earth as well. How much longer can this rate of growth continue in the face of rising environmental concerns? After 9.15, are hordes of window-cleaning robots about to take over Hong Kong skyscrapers?